0: mm mm-hmm.
1: You when you See, it's the beginning of the be blood. <laughs> <laughs>
2: City, a podcast about eight game makers, curators, and researchers who are meeting up in Shanghai for a week to try and watch every game in the International Dota 2 Championships. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Peter Nelson. I'm Lee shang I'm Stephanie Bola.
3: I'm Yang Ji.
2: I'm Will Parton.
3: I'm Alexandra Lee.
2: And this week we all arrive in Shanghai. We introduce the cast, especially four new voices, and we're going to talk about our Dota pasts, our Dota predictions, and the case of the weird ticketing. Today we're together for the first time, uh, missing one because Felania and Mongfei Leo will join us in a couple episodes ready to talk about uh, what to expect out of this week. We're in a kind of a hot room in an <laughs> it's apartment. Tradition at this point, right? Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, in an apartment in Shanghai, not too far from Mercedes-Benz Arena, where the International starts tomorrow. So I wanted to start with uh, actually reintroducing the four of us who were on the previous season. So I'm Patrick Lemieux. I am a a uh, game designer, a
0: media artist, and an assistant professor at the University of California, Davis. I'm Lee Shanglun. I'm a game designer and anti-disciplinary artist based in Melbourne, Australia. I run a studio called Play Reactive.
4: And I'm Stephanie Bullock. And just like Patrick, I'm also at UC Davis, where I play games, make games, research games, pretty much do all things games.
3: And I'm Alexandra Lee, and I'm a producer at Play Reactive, um, making all things interactive playfulness. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
2: Good. Yeah, so you might recognize uh, the four of us because we talked a lot on the previous season (laughs) where we were in Malaysia, but we have new cast members. So I'd like to kind of go around the room uh, and introduce the new voices. So maybe tell us a bit about who you are.
1: Okay, I'm new voice number one. Um, <laughs> my name's Peter Nelson. I'm an artist by training. Uh, these days I work somewhere between uh, art historical research, media studies, and uh, computer game studies, as well as making various interactive artworks, often using computer game engines and mods and things like that. Up next.
5: Uh, I'm Yang Jing. I'm also based in Hong Kong. Did you see you your based in Hong Kong? No, I
1: didn't. That was a secret. <laughs> spoiled it. it. <laughs> no, I forgot. Yes. I'm based in Hong Kong. I'm currently at Hong Kong Baptist University. Mm.
5: Okay. So I'm not in Hong Kong Baptist University, but I'm also based in Hong Kong. And I started to write about games as a journalist and also editor. I have my own game column in Chinese. It's called Game On. Mm-hmm. And then I started to curate games, which I had the privilege to invite Patrick and Peter to my exhibition last year in Shenzhen, China. And now I'm here. Have fun, yeah. <laughs> nice.
6: <laughs> and I'm William Parton. I'm a researcher at the University of North Carolina and I study uh, work, technology, and culture. Uh, and right now I'm focusing on esports. Um, and before I actually got into being an academic, I worked in the esports industry. Uh, and I also do a lot of popular writing about esports for mm-hmm. sites like Kotaku, uh, Rolling Stone, Variety, The Atlantic. Um, so that's where I'm coming from.
7: Mm.
2: So uh, to get into it, last time we were in Kuala Lumpur because many reasons, right? It had a high density of escape rooms. We had people on the cast who had grown up there and had family there. Um, And it seemed like a good place to test a method about playing well together because escape rooms caused us to kind of create a group etiquette for doing the rooms, but also talking about the rooms and doing podcasts about the rooms. So we're sitting here in the seventeenth floor, like the top floor of an apartment building. It's the penthouse. We're in the penthouse. Yeah, this is in the a, penthouse. it's actually pretty good. It's we're three <laughs>
0: floors of apartments. <laughs> and art. And art. there's so much
6: art. It's kind of a pop art aesthetic in here.
0: To, to, it's actually like the parlor of an escape room aesthetic. It very much is. <laughs> it's got We're, Harry Potter beds under every stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And weird sculptures like Chimera. Yeah, <laughs> a moose head with a British flag.
2: There's the a
1: checkerboard rhino
0: in the
2: corner.
4: There oh, is. Yeah. I just noticed that. There's, There's a Mr. Softie mo- on the roof. A lion zebra?
2: With one shoe on.
7: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and there are three car. porcelain skulls, but n- facing the wall. That's always
1: the case,
7: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but we're all. Oh, that's normal.
2: So we've hauled all the paintings and mattresses and stuff around us, and we're in the living room doing yet another season of Every Game in the City. But maybe one question remains: um, like, why Shanghai? Why now? Why are why we here? Are
7: here?
2: <laughs> yeah. Who decided this?
0: Actually, is it the good, previous cast?
2: Really good question. So after the first mm. season. Uh, the whole cast had ideas. Like, oh, every casino in Las Vegas, mm, every every, uh, every game in Anchorage, Alaska, where we'll go, like, hunting and fishing. Right, it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> controversial.
7: <laughs> <laughs> every
2: every mini-golf in in uh, Australia, like, on the coast. Uh, so there were lots of ideas, but, but one thing that sprung out to Stephanie and I, and we actually contacted Will first uh, to kind of run this by him, was... Um, Uh, the Dota 2 International Championship is this massive tournament. The fans call it the Super Bowl of esports. It takes place in a big stadium, usually in North America, but this year it's in Shanghai. Mm. Uh, So it struck us that this type of tournament uh, has some of the same things that escape rooms have. It has like a chance to see play together, to talk about the game together, and to do another podcast together. It's Um, social,
0: it's physical, it's relentlessly physical in some ways, like the escape rooms were. It takes off a bunch of, like, the Doug Wilson boxes in terms of method. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that that you're going to have an
2: oversaturation and be a bit sad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, we want to hit the wall at some point, so, like, what would do that? And what has, like, a structure that would do that? But I'm really curious, like, Will, you were one of the first people we contacted, uh, what did you think when you first heard about the project?
6: So, I was told about this like immediately after giving a presentation about Dota Two at a conference. And about how bad the international is. Uh, <laughs> You're just bragging on it. And that goes, came hey, later. Go. <laughs> um, I think I mean, will we'll definitely talk to this. I think it was about um sort of the the competition that happens not among players but among commentators because yeah. actually becoming one of the people who is talent for this event is enormously difficult. And so there's an entire different like meta game happening mm-hmm. around the people who want to like be the shoutcasters versus the people who are actually the players. Mm-hmm. Um but immediately I was all in because I'd been thinking for a long time about how Dota is is encapsulate so many of the things I'm interested in about how technology shapes how we work, about how technology shapes culture. Um, and it really felt like this was an opportunity to go and and do an atypical kind of of research experience. And mm. I knew it was gonna be very endurance. I've been to big esports tournaments before. They can be exhausting, they are exhausting, and I figure that, you know, when this is over in like 10 days, I will either like, go home and drop out of my PhD program <laughs> to play Dota, or I will, uh, like, not touch the game for, like, six months. Whoa. So, that's great. Well, it's want enough, one we of want two ways. Like, <laughs>
4: Which one will it
7: be? Mm-hmm.
2: So, so after Will was on board, we felt like we had some kind of critical mass, and um, we, of course, contacted the whole original cast, and Lun and Alex uh, joined us, and then we started kind of pitching it to folks who might be... Uh, interested. So maybe Yang Jing and Peter, uh, what did you think when you first kind of heard about every game in the city and, and this idea?
5: I'm basically a yes person. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is something <laughs> I've never done. And I heard people and game 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I'm really easy to persuade.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, Yes, I will watch this game that I know nothing about for 10 hours every day.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. I actually
5: didn't know you were so serious about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you we, we didn't know that we'd be setting up a bunch of microphones that are color-coded with their cords and yeah. doing multiple podcasts a day?
5: <laughs> I'm really impressed this morning. I get here like... Back,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ready to go. This is real. There goes our under-18 audience. Um, I sort of, yeah, I I think my answer is pretty similar. Um, Mm. For better and worse, I'm a bit of a yes person. Um, But also it was relatively convenient for what I was already doing. Like I already knew I'd be in Beijing um, shortly before this and Hong Kong shortly after. But also, it sounded like something that I wouldn't regret because it's something that I know I'd never do, but I'm pretty sure I'll find some interesting stuff Mm -hmm. through doing this. And Mm -hmm. there is no way in hell I would have organized this independently. (laughs) So um, to piggyback on top of your enthusiasm, um, seemed like a pretty decent opportunity to go for. But Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like I'm on the click-click Part of a roller coaster or something because yeah. everybody's saying, Oh, it's gonna be so exhausting, it's, it's just gonna be a nightmare. I'm like, oh. Really? <laughs> <laughs> is it? How hard up? is it to just sit You're around? About to yeah. go the and, edge. And so I'm like, Oh god, I hope they're all just exaggerating because <laughs> we'll see when we're sitting
2: on the ground eating like McDonald's inside a stadium three days from now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. So, wait, wait, before we get into eating McDonald's on the ground, I would love to know a little bit more about not just who you are, but like what Dota is to you. Like where are you coming from to join a trip that is about the uh, this video game that is an eSport and has a big tournament that happens to be uh, taking place in Shanghai? So like what what is Dota? And <laughs> what does it mean to each of us?
4: I can I can start here just to, to say a little bit. So when Dota 2 first came out in 2011, that was when uh, Valve decided to put on the first international, mm-hmm. and this was uh, an invite-only esports tournament. It took place in Cologne, and it was live streamed. And in 2011, I think live streaming was kind of just starting to to be picked up, or it was something that I was just starting to like watch myself. Mm-hmm. And when when it came on, I remember saying like, "What's Dota? I have no idea what this is." And at that point in my life, I was—I had like just finished school, I had just graduated, and I was doing a postdoc in um, Poughkeepsie, where like I had nothing but a mattress. So I was like just—my memory is like sitting on a mattress mm-hmm. um, and and like watching this game and, and having no idea what would go on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was actually so Stephanie and I do a lot of research together, and I watched this tournament with her on this like mattress in upstate New York. And um, one of the things that stood out to me about that moment was the sense of um, both a deep, deep familiarity and history of this game that was present in the commentary and in the way that the players were behaving and in the way people were talking about it. But it was new to us; like we didn't know anything about it. It seemed completely kind of foreign and alien. And we were trying our best to like pick up little things kind of here and there. But uh, I think like being in the moment in that newness was a really incredible gaming experience for
4: us. And I think all of the different ways that they were starting to think about this game as a spectator sport was absolutely fascinating to me. And also the fact that in the first year the prize pool was one million dollars. This year it's it's what is it? Thirty three? $33. Yeah. It's thirty three million. So you know, that's exponential escalation every new year. But at that at that moment in time, one million dollars felt like an absolutely ridiculous amount of money for a video game. So I was just like, What is happening? Yeah. This seemed really, really important. And I've basically ever since then I'd say I'm more of a Dota watcher even than I am a Dota player. Like, I'm interested in this game not as somebody who kind of, you know, is putting thousands of hours into playing this game, but who's probably put in thousands of hours watching it. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, maybe to follow up, that left us with a sense of uh, there's a mystery there. And, like, one of the ways that we play games is I think that we dig into the things that people do around a given game and kind of explore uh, the different ways that people make practice more or less out of their play, how they make artifacts or uh, art or other kinds of um, culture out of a video game um, how they use a video game as a ball
0: to play lots of other types of games so this and the, is what the metagaming yeah is. so this is like
2: a, a kind of condensed version of this book that we wrote uh, called metagaming and the longest chapter in metagaming both in terms of time it took for us to write it and length <laughs> is this is chapter five it's called the turn of the tide and it's on dota 2 and it's specifically about not the games international in cologne but the next year, the International 2, which took place at Ben Arroyo Hall in Seattle, and that paper took us over a year of work days to write.
4: It took us over a year to write, yeah. and the topic was literally 17 seconds.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the primal scene for us. It's like this one-two punch of like the International 1 and then the International 2, and trying to get to the bottom, which I think... This trip is an extension of, mm. trying to get to a, the bottom of, like, what is this thing that is more complex uh, than
0: a lot of games that I think I play. Right, and you're not merely interested in the, the standard metagame, the game of Dota itself. You're interested in the bizarre moments or the, the things that happen around Dota, the games that people make with yeah judging.
2: and i think that those two things uh, we were joking before starting recording about like ludonarrative dissonance about the uh, oh my gosh uh, i think we said <laughs> the oh, no. oh, no. <laughs> well, first episode ruined. but like th- this idea is that like the game mechanics and the narrative don't blend but yeah. it's more complicated than that right because narrative always influences the way people play and narrative always changes the way that people deal with The formal aspects of games, right? It's not as easily separated as saying, "Oh, there's some code under the surface," and then you get these surface effects like the asset arts and stuff. And the same is true of culture, right? So it's really easy, I think, for people to say, "Oh, Dota strategies are this thing," and like the conversations people have about Dota is this other thing. But actually, they influence one another constantly, and it's Dota is a lens or like an optic for thinking about broader issues about technology and play.
4: So what I think is really interesting about this podcast is we have a range of people, mm-hmm. um, some of whom have been thinking about Dota for for decades. Some of whom I, I don't like. I'm not even sure of the level of familiarity, but like um, have never even watched a game mm-hmm. or or I mean, like- uh,
0: certainly Alexandra and I have never played Dota or I think watched it. Have you?
3: I've never watched it. I know there's there's something glowing. <laughs> yeah there are glowing things
0: maybe that's the source
3: <laughs> Yeah. Can, so I,
4: I'm really curious to hear um, from, from the two of you what is
3: Dota?
0: okay you, so maybe we can go next in terms of our relationships with Dota mm-hmm. um, do you have any
3: um, my, my relationship with Dota is zero days old <laughs> <laughs> um, I only just found out today that there's Ta- towers in it, apparently. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe there's like a tower defense element to it.
3: Yeah, not exactly sure how it works. We were trying to make it up, and
0: Speculate. we know, know
3: that there's mm-hmm. two teams, Uh huh maybe
0: f- five, six. Five or
3: six players, maybe. Maybe. Good.
0: Sounds about mm-hmm. right.
3: And, wait, no, sorry. I was you had the glowing thing. That doesn't make sense if each... I was thinking maybe the the player who you're controlling is glowing but that's not true because you would see your own screen.
0: I know that you can press Q or F and maybe it either makes you invisible or fast.
3: What? <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> like press F for fast. And Q for invisible.
4: quick. <laughs> <laughs> Q for quick, F for fast.
0: W to wink Yeah. Oh uh, okay, well hang on. So wait, 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 wait. So
2: this is one thing that's really funny about this is that like y'all were some of the most experienced players and makers of escape rooms on the last podcast, and so I'm kind of like uh, I'm like marinating in like the fact that like parapetia. So, so let's say we like, yeah, if we if we like put Dota on, on the screen, aside from the Q and F and the towers, like what what would you see? Like what does it look like? Do you have you do you know what it looks like?
3: I think it's like um FIFA in a magical forest. Yes. that's
0: pretty accurate. There's a bottom bar uh, with some portraits in squares, and maybe like Sims-style needs. What? Maybe I'm just <laughs> conflating it with the Sims. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, there are there are creatures in the forest that are not—they're NPCs and they're not on any side.
4: Can you explain what you mean by Sims-style needs? <laughs>
0: They get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> they have
1: to <laughs> improve their If they, 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 they do <laughs> learn cooking, they'll set fire in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I know, but like I, 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 I think you level up in Dota. We're on the same
0: page. Yeah. Um, Alexandra, what else is there? What do you have to do? Is there violence?
3: I don't know. I have no idea. I think you, I, I know that it's some sort of arcane type of theme. Mm-hmm. So there's probably magic in it. That I don't know whether you're supposed to attack the other people, or you're supposed to steal something of theirs, or you're supposed to like gain territory. I'm not actually
0: sure. What I think there are lanes, and uh, so okay, I lied. I have watched one game of the original Dota mod. I was in high school, and I was at just this most surreal LAN party um, at a choir camp, and. <laughs> People like we love to sing, so there was also a weird chanting singing. We
1: were <laughs> on a quiet camp, so we. Were <laughs> yeah!
0: High.
1: Were you singing
0: in
6: Swedish?
2: <laughs>
4: no. Dota
7: music. Let's get it on.
0: We were not. We we just found out today about... I asked Stephanie walking out of our apartment, uh, Oh, does Dota have a theme song? And Stephanie stopped in her tracks, turned around, and gave me the widest grin.
2: (laughs) What what does the
0: woman say at the start of that classic bass hunter music video?
6: It's, It's the mom. She comes in, it's like... It means like all you ever do is sit in
0: your room and play dota
3: <laughs>
6: and that
0: becomes like the hook for the song and Alexandra and I have both heard this song before we made it. They went, "Oh, we know this song
3: yeah, no idea that
4: it had to do with Dota: So what did you think people were saying or talking about when you heard that song? I, I just I thought agree. it was a... I thought it was some, like, disco. I thought it
2: was Eurovision.
0: I mean, it, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dota's the Eurovision. It, it plays Dota's at my gym. Yeah. <laughs> they play this song at my gym.
4: So you went to choir camp, but instead of singing, everyone decided to land and play a, some Dota. There
0: was a small group uh, of... It was an all-boys school that was on this choir camp, and a small group of us went, and there were six laptops and something called Hamachi, and mm. maybe... Uh, in Warcraft 3, and I wanted to play, but I didn't know how anything works, so they told me to go in the corner and play the tutorial to Warcraft 3, not Dota. Oh. But I learned, for example, how to move a character on the map, which I'm not even sure if that's what you do in Dota. Oh, are there champions that you rotate through? You have to choose three champions, and when one dies, you go to the next one? Maybe.
3: We'll what see. Are cha- they champions say. or heroes?
0: good question of the storm or
3: are they different things
0: <laughs> I don't know okay here's, here's <laughs> what I think it is you, there's three lanes and you try to attack the enemy's towers and there's uh, creatures in the forest that give you items so or so it's spells. like water polo it's water but polo with animals yes <laughs> no
1: what happens? Okay, who are the NPCs in water pool? No, no, no animals giving a shit. Sharks trying to drown <laughs> of them.
2: So, what happens? What do you? What's your goal if you beat the towers? As in, what happens? Yeah, if you beat, is that the goal? And and what happens? Like, what do you think happens? How, how does the game end?
0: Uh... last kill, last hitting. No, if the, when someone final hits, the game ends. It's the final hit. Final
3: hits what? The tower.
0: I don't know what final hitting is. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet bet everyone is cringing
2: right now. (laughs) I I think it's so good because uh, I think that we're going to have an interlude where we explain a little bit about kind of um, what some of these words might mean. I'm also really looking forward to a series of revelations that might take place. And it seems like maybe one of the goals for you all on this trip is like to immerse yourself in this
0: game you don't know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, at least, uh, it's definitely the continuation of every game in the city, the same Mm -hmm. methodology and intensity Mm -hmm. where we immerse ourselves completely to the point of, uh, kind of over immersion. We're a bit Mm -hmm. too wet and we need to dry out, but we can't, we have to keep being immersed, um, and doing that with a group of people who are thinking critically about all the different ways in which we can play Mm -hmm. well together. Personally, I'm really interested in the mundane and slightly unusual both um, ways in which Dota and largely eSports uh, are played or presented in contemporary Chinese culture and society um, and using, I guess, the lens of digital games to explore what that means for, for this country and uh, yeah, the peoples.
4: Yeah, the fact that this is the first year that the International is taking place mm-hmm. in in China is, I think, really, really significant mm-hmm. and um, part of kind of a longer history of Valve's relationship to China that we won't talk about today on the first mm-hmm. episode, but I think that will kind of come up, hopefully it will come up as we, as we um, you know, spend time watching the games through the week. Mm-hmm. Just, just to like recap, though, um, so what I've heard from you all is that uh, Dota is <laughs> FIFA in a Magical Forest. <laughs> sim-style needs, water polo animals, lanes, last hitting. And I think that that's great.
0: Is yeah, it, I think you nailed it.
4: <laughs> done. Podcast
0: over. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> oh, it also stands for Defense of the Ancients, but no longer does. Correct. And it was made by a frog.
5: Oh <laughs> that part's true. I wasn't raising my hand. I was trying to... <laughs> oh. China, China, China. <laughs> Everyone was so ready to point to you. <laughs> but I want to jump in because you said something about China, and I was sitting here thinking about my relationship with Dota, which yeah. is non-existent, and <laughs> but it's weird because I'm in Shanghai and it's talking about Dota is like a time travel for me, because the first time I know about this game was when I was in Shanghai, and it was like more than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. No, more almost 15 years ago, because I started my college here in 2004 and left here when I graduated in 2008. And during my college years, daughter was introduced into China, and I lost a boyfriend to it. Not really, but that's... a <laughs>
0: <laughs> you stole your boyfriend.
5: <laughs> that's a common joke at the time, because in China, you're not encouraged at all to play games at home, mm-hmm. and especially games that are multiplayer. One Mm -hmm. thing is, you have to spend a lot of money, we don't have a good bandwidth at home. Your parents wouldn't do that for you just so you can win a game. And you have to go to night cafes. And when we go to college, that's almost the first time for a lot of Chinese young people to be young and together without control from your parents. And what do you do? You play games together in a dormitory. Mm -hmm. And we are the best universities in Shanghai. There's another university saying the same thing, but it doesn't matter. Wait. <laughs> Fair. So that's the thing. So we're, the university's name is Fudan, and every university has something that distinguishes itself from other universities, like one of the universities' uh, normatory. How do you call it? Normalty or normal? University, that's a Chinese name where it trains teachers or professors. Normal right,
0: like university. a polytechnic. Yeah. 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 Right. But and they say normal university yeah, normal as opposed university. to the weird ones. Yes.
5: Yeah. Like
4: Beijing normal university. university. Where to get
5: people normal. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> because they have really good scenery, so it's a university for love. And oh. I don't know why, but our university is best to do nothing. <laughs> wow. That was
2: like the motto? Was like, we do nothing?
5: Yeah. But we have. But it's doing nothing games? We have a really like an unofficial model. It's like be free and useless, wow. something like that. Yeah, in a Chinese university. What a
1: great reputation! Yeah, sign me up.
5: <laughs> You're too old. <laughs> 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 Put
0: the dagger in the hat. <laughs> so you were at this do nothing useless place. And Dodo was what
5: Doda you was did what when you did nothing. Guys want to do, mm-hmm. and it's very like a brotherhood thing because mm. you have to have teams or communes and people usually assemble the same team players together usually buddies from the same dormitory and dormitories are assigned according to your department so then it becomes department, brotherhood or love or something Hmm. and people play it in the midnight and that's also when other people play, like us, we play Diablo
0: Nice, so you were not the Dota crowd, you were Diablo
5: Diablo is more like a girl thing, I don't know why Really? Yeah. And then there are people watching football match. And then we all get very tired. We went out to a street. It's called Diablo Street because Diablo in Chinese is means dark destroyer. And that street in the night is very dark and the snack are really bad. But people are hungry. <laughs> the destroyer bit. <laughs> yeah. But you're hungry you need energy. So you go there anyway, you meet people who are, I think, who just finished playing either Dota or LOL <clears> and lost. <throat> so they have to treat the winners. The awful snack right yeah
2: Mm -hmm. oh nice uh i think we should do this one night after the podcast is Mm -hmm. like whoever wins the podcast gets treated to the worst snack in shanghai (laughs) oh that's nice
5: yeah Uh, uh, and a a stomach (laughs) problem oh yeah Yeah, death death
0: blood cubes Uh, (laughs) well those are great (laughs) they were really delicious yeah
5: so that's when a lot of boys got really let's see addicted to the game and they don't want to do anything else And sometimes a girlfriend would blame him, that you play so many Dota and you don't exist for me anymore. Yeah. Is that what you did? No, really, but he does that too, so... <laughs>
2: <laughs> How do you say the, um, the, like, phrase...
5: Be free and useless?
2: Both be free and be useless and, uh, he left me for Dota. Like, what's <laughs> the Chinese way of saying those?
5: Oh, the first one is really a saying, 自由而无用. Hmm. Be free and useless. Second one, we don't have a term like that at the time. We probably would have one by now, uh-huh. but now everyone plays it here, not as much as before. I said time travel because I haven't been in China for the past ten or eleven years, mm-hmm. and when I come back, a lot of has changed, especially to play or games. Like there's no esports, so to speak, that many years ago, and yeah. now it's very legit. And playing game for a living went on from something very weird to shameful to mm-hmm. something glorious now. Mm-hmm. And have was something new to very classic, old and now when people talk about it, it could be so that's the game, the glory of the king is called pain. Something yeah. like that. So Honored King.
0: I'm really interested to compare maybe our experiences because you said you were away from China for so long, but being Chinese, you have an inherent understanding of like what the culture at least was at that time and then the kind of longer lasting aspects of that. For Alexandra and myself, we're Chinese diaspora. Um, We have a connection to Chinese culture, but it's through Malaysian culture Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And we don't have an understanding of, you know, national Chinese culture. Uh, So it'll be, yeah, to see what aspects get translated, what aspects are lost, all that
5: sort of thing. definitely. So for me, it's funny. I'm here again in Shanghai, and it's because of Dota.
2: I love that. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like, uh, everybody's playing Dota now, and everyone's recycling. Welcome to 2019. (laughs) Yeah, right.
4: (laughs) Um, I just had a question about the be free and useless. Okay. So that that kind of motto for the university, The the way like what was was it mainly games that were things that people would do to be free and useless? And did a lot of the people that were of that generation that like grew up playing Dota, did any of them go on that you that you know of to like do esports? Like was that uselessness turned into something useful?
5: First is that this model is way much older than I am, Mm -hmm. but this university is really old. they are very very against any kind of politics like academia should be free of politics that's what be free and useless means in the first place and also not to be too money oriented Mm. but while we went to school is maybe like 50 or 60 years later after this thing is this thing is born and we took it the most light-hearted way it means to drink to eat to play to so when you go to that university, they say there's three things you must do. One is to have a relationship and to teach someone, to teach school kids to make pocket money and to lose a bicycle. And that's the most... Wait,
0: what? <laughs> so to have a relationship, to yeah. teach kids how to make pocket money?
5: No, to teach kids so that you have pocket money. Oh, right. And then, to and make,
0: then lose a bicycle? You no.
5: Know, that, weird that's that's I
2: think we should also try and do that this week
0: <laughs> Try to lose a bicycle yeah. Well, I think we've already taught some or kids How to make pocket money <laughs> Buying these tickets But
4: I also want to know how you lost a boyfriend <laughs> Did he just play all the time? Was I like... think
5: he's really addicted to it Because he He went into a really good High school These high schools are particularly good To train students as if they were in military so it's very, very pressured life. And then you go to university, there's no one at all. And you have a computer and you have a bunch of people who are of similar age as you. And he didn't do well at school, but he did really well in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what hooked him.
7: So
2: yeah, it sounds like King has like, and Stephanie and I have this like longer history with Dota. Maybe we can hear from like Will and mm-hmm. Peter about their relationships to this game. Sure.
6: <laughs> like, yes. Is yours also lost loves through Dota? <laughs> uh, actually, that that plays a pivotal plot point here. Uh-huh. Um, so if Changlong uh, and Yangjin and um, Alexandra are sort of relatively new to the game, I'm sort of closer to Patrick and Stephanie in that it's been part of my life for a pretty long time. Mm. Um, I've always sort of had this personality that if I was going to get into something, I was like really going to get into it. Mm. And in college, I was playing a different game, StarCraft, really, really seriously. And I was um, playing for my college team, and I actually liked it so much that I took a part-time job working for a professional gaming team. Um, and I was running social media for them, writing articles, and... About um, a year into that, I noticed that StarCraft, the number of people watching it, was going down. Mm. Um, And that I knew that if I wanted to keep on working in esports, I'd probably need to get involved in another game. And this was the fall of 2012, I was a senior in college, and I was like, oh, Dota's on the rise, I'm going to try this out. And I got like utterly addicted instantly. Uh, It's kind of a miracle that I graduated. (laughs) You were the boyfriend. I was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and and then I didn't.
1: This is going to be like Jerry Springer or
6: something. (laughs) They were were
1: the the, (laughs) 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 Who else is part of the (laughs) class?
6: And that wasn't just about Dota. Um, Because I moved moved to to go to graduate school um, two states away. And I remember I moved into my apartment um, the very first week, and it was August 2013, and the International 3 was happening in Seattle. And so I didn't know anybody in Chapel Hill yet, and I was sort of sitting in my, like, shitty basement apartment um, in this, like, janky complex and just watching um, the TI3 Finals, which are sort of in Dota lore regarded as some of the best ones to have ever happened. And the fifth game in the best of five in the final series is unbelievably tense, and I'm just sort of sitting there like screaming in my basement, totally losing it, because I don't know anybody there, so I've just been fully invested in like watching this fiendishly for a few days. Um, and it's at that point that like, just, you know, the addiction deepened. And probably over <laughs> the next like, two or three years, I played around 5,000 hours of Dota. Um, yeah, way too much. It's also a miracle that, I, that I've that i been getting through graduate school, too. Um,
4: 5,000 hours is not that much.
2: Wait, I think 10K is considered to be okay.
4: What?
6: <laughs> what it's really interesting talking to pros about how many hours they put in. Hmm. Some of them are like, I went pro after, like, two or 3,000 hours, and oh, other wow. ones who really, like... You know, take it like 10, 15, 20,000 hours before they feel competent.
0: What's um, the old saying of how many hours it takes or how many years? Malcolm That's the
6: Malcolm is yeah, ten thousand, right? right which,
1: but it surely has a coefficient over time. You know, yes. you're going to do that two thousand <laughs> in a couple of months or in a couple of years. <laughs>
6: <Yeah>. <laughs> but. Um, it became pretty clear to me that like there was not a future for me in Dota as a player. Um <laughs> When but, did that become clear? Oh, like, like how actually, many. Actually almost like instantly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I liked the game too much to be good at it was kind of my uh-huh. problem. Um and What do you mean by that? So I think um there act this actually is a thing in like psych and like performance psychology. Um they call it the what is it? Yerkes-Dodson curve and the idea is like if on your y axis you had arousal Mm -hmm. or so performance and on your x axis you had arousal it sort of maps like a bell curve where if you're like super into something you're probably not actually going to be very good at it and if you totally don't give a shit about something you're probably not going to be good at it either but there's this Sweet spot in the middle where you're like, you like it, you're into it, but your relationship to it is kind of instrumental, and so you, you can actually dis, like, uh, yeah. you
2: have some kind of distance from it. Yeah, and yes. that
6: lets you pursue like super high level performance. So your arousal for Dodo is too was high. way too high. So, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> too much arousal equals bad performance.
6: <laughs> yeah. Um, did I mention my ex girlfriend?
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
7: uh,
1: so. <laughs> just let the audience consider that one and yeah. all the possible <laughs>
0: We'll also note that like Will loves this couch that he's sitting on, which is the perfect psychotherapy couch. Oh <laughs>
6: yeah, you are on like a chase lounge. Really I've been lounging reaction. here all day with my like slight upset stomach. Stephanie like, has gone on my and a pair of round yeah. spectacles. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> now tell us about your yeah
4: <laughs> I mean, I think this trip is, there is an element of processing what is this game because I, this, this game is such a beast. Mm -hmm. And there's no way we'll ever be able to like fully explain in this podcast just how much of a mess. Dota is on like many, many levels from like gameplay to the whole like esports infrastructure and the economics of it to the particular meta, um, whole thing. And so, yeah, like, like maybe this is just group therapy. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I mean, I think that there's something to that bell curve idea. Like, um, maybe that this trip sits in that bell curve a certain amount. Like, there's some kind of distance from this game that we want to hold on to. And that makes us different from other projects. Cause there are a lot of people who do like a podcast analyzing Dota or like thinking about Dota or things that are about specific matches or go deeper into the analysis. Um, and we're not doing that. And right. so there's got to be a reason we're not doing that. Right. And I think that we're going to learn something about, uh, play or technology or culture or nationalism through the lens of Dota rather about, rather than learning about Dota as the point through any of those other lenses. So there's something kind of interesting about having some critical distance on this game. Maybe because you were uh, scorned by, <laughs> by somebody <laughs> who played it too much or didn't play it enough, or maybe because you like don't know it that well. Um, Peter, what's your, because you, you haven't uh, kind of had a chance yet, what's
1: your kind of take on Dota? What's your relationship to it? So to respond to the first question on what my conception of this game is in my head, is something like, in my head, I remember, like, the single-player... The StarCraft missions where you had, like, one character to, to control. That's yeah. kind of my general spatial kind of sense of this, um, you know, isometric space control of control of the map, limited number of characters. Um, and if I say anything more specific, I'll probably embarrass myself playing it <laughs> up. Definitely. <have> think. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, I... The closest analog to games that i played more of when i was younger would be things like rts games for that spatiality mm-hmm. but i know that obviously the the relationship between the number of characters you control and the entire sort of um competition structure is radically different
2: even though you don't have a lot of history maybe with like dota as a piece of software you do have like a longer history and interest in uh, the valve corporation and their kind Mm. of extended works as well as like their marketplace and Mm. kind of relationship to
1: play and landscape. Yeah. So that was the second part of the answer that I was (coughs) just thinking about, which was, um, when it came time for me to start developing my own research interests, there were a few things I'd been playing StarCraft as a procrastination um, tool during my, uh, honors year at art school. And I'd also developed sort of an amateur interest in Chinese painting of all things. And so when I did my master's, I started putting these things together and I started writing about computer games, but also just writing about um, spatial construction because of my history in painting, you know, all painting has some element of learning how um, the two-dimensional and three-dimensional space work together. Mm -hmm. And when it came to my PhD, I, I designed this project of, well, if I had that joy of, Studying landscape paintings, and all of a sudden having this window into a historical moment, could I try to construct a similar way um, or a similar window using computer games that if computer games are this sort of um, incredibly uh, popular media that has really exploded within our lifetimes, how might a historian treat these things as some sort of window onto what's happening in society today? Um, so I sort of spent three years trying to develop a method for doing this mm-hmm. and as you mentioned with the Valve Source Engine, that was the case study I picked. I sort of thought, well, picking a random series of games, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's 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 too large and too various and and anything you say will just be a bit, um, nebulous. You know, a, bit yeah, a bit nebulous and a bit forced. So mm-hmm. I decided to go with this idea of a medium. So I picked the Valve Source Engine and I tried to study a number of different types of games made with it, as well as the broader Economic context of that piece of software and how it exists in the world, which ended up getting into a little bit of esports economies um, and things like sports geography. That, you know, as soon as you're studying landscape, you end up having to read a lot of geography theory. And um, things like sports geography to me were a really interesting way at that time I was looking at Counter Strike. And when you look at how sports geographers use the distribution of stadiums and local teams and the socioeconomic relationships that Um, you can read through sports, that mapped onto Counter-Strike quite well because you just swap variations in locality with how games are sort of distributed um, uh, online. Mm -hmm. And and also in terms of materiality, like I became fascinated in... You know how how could you understand Counter Strike by sponsorship relationships mm-hmm. and all the controversies over trading of weapon skins to alleged product placement of weapons in games to the way that uh, gun manufacturers in America changed their marketing techniques to kind of paint guns to look more gamey. All these sort of things. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, if you're going to look at games and understand, well, what are they? You you open this window and there's all these different um examples of what's kind of happening in the world and the game kind of condenses it in a way much like these paintings were a couple of hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So for me, studying something like Dota, I will come into it as pretty open mind because I'm not I'm not a fan and I'm not in this case I'm not even a player, although I assume we will be. But that's mm-hmm. my that's the fun I like to have with games, is treating them just as an aesthetic object or an artwork or a game of their era and seeing what kind of historical portrait can be built around it
0: i think that's really fascinating because when i think of game as cultural artifacts that from which you can look at society um you start thinking about folk games or games like chess or weighty um as really clear indications because they're not auteur games mm. they're reflected in society over centuries mm. and then you move into kind of the more contemporary video game space where you have people that you can ask what did you mean by this and what are the politics of this game mm-hmm. then we kind of come full circle again with the Source Engine and Dota as these um, Leviathans that aren't actually necessarily designed in the same yeah. way those previous games were mm-hmm. they are almost like yeah. folk games again
1: well Counter-Strike as well like um, that what I mm-hmm. enjoyed so much about it was that I, I picked games that sort of represented some sort of transition moment in the Valve yeah. Source Engine and the transition from you know, Half-Life slash Half-Life 2 to Counter-Strike. In between that, there's so many different mods that it's really just a, a marking point for, um, for what... Uh, underneath which there were just thousands of other people doing similar things, and then you make this marker, okay, now we're talking about Counter-Strike, and then you go into all the mods of that, and you sort of see these grand directional shifts in the way that the game is just becoming yet another piece of software... Mm-hmm. with which people are doing all sorts of strange things. Totally. Um,
2: it sounds like from you know some of us who have a vested interest in the way that like play relates to culture but don't know too much about dota or some of us who know about Chinese games but like are new to dota to those of us who have spent a really long time, either thinking about or watching or playing Dota, to those of us who are engaging like the technical infrastructure undercurrents of Valve's larger kind of metaverse they're building, we all have these different angles and approaches and investments uh, to this week. And one of the things that's going to bring it all together is what we uh, look at through all those different lenses, and that's gonna be uh, this tournament. So as we move forward together as a group, um, one thing that I'm really curious about is how is watching Dota at the International going to change the way we think about this game or we think about our culture or we think about technology or we think about China? How is analyzing this game going to change all those things? How is uh, watching cosplays or watching a film festival or going to an art show or like gambling with virtual currencies or... Uh, buying resold tickets or doing our own commentary match to match. How are all those things going to inflect upon our thinking, not just about Dota, but about all these different angles we're coming at Dota from. Uh, and so that's one of the things that's really interesting about this podcast series and why we wanted to do another season of it is that this happened with escape rooms and the way that it happened wasn't because we spent a lot of uh, time and effort and, money to play a bunch of escape rooms though that certainly happened it was because playing those escape rooms together changed the way we talked about escape rooms changed the way we talked about games and changed the way we talked to each other Mm. there was like an oral history and an oral culture to our experience that was captured on this podcast every game in the city and Dota, interestingly, though it does There's name uh, drop, uh, by the every way. game in yeah. this dot city, yeah. hashtag, <laughs> every esport Shanghai, uh, Dota isn't an escape room, but it has the same oral elements. We're going to talk about Dota together as we watch it, and we're going to talk about the way that we talk about it on this podcast. There's kind of a meta oral history going on here that is part of uh, this project and I think is going to continue the method from season one. And on that note, maybe we should take a break because it, yeah. it is pitch black in here. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's gone down. <laughs> down. It's the pretty hot in stopped. here even though we left the, uh, the air conditioner on um, and we're probably all hungry for a uh, small lobster which yeah. is what we're going to eat right now. Yeah. Next up, Will, Stephanie, and I are going to try and explain what Dota actually is. Okay, for this brief interlude, Stephanie, Will, and I wanted to give a kind of general overview of Dota 2 to help new listeners know what we're talking about when we mention things like uh, heroes or creeps Uh, towers and lanes throughout the podcast and if you're new to dota don't worry too much uh this podcast doesn't require you to know anything about the game and in fact half of our cast this is going to be like the first time they're seeing dota and playing dota
4: there's so many words (laughs) there's
2: a lot going on (laughs) so So but wait before we get into any of the words what even is dota 2
7: welcome to dota
2: This is like a question we're going to be asking ourselves a lot this week, I think. Uh, And most people describe Dota as a competitive online game where teams of five attempt to destroy each other's buildings in a top-down map like Age of Empires or StarCraft and usually players use mouse and keyboard to pilot a single hero, um, so kind of like in Diablo, which starts off weak and slowly becomes more powerful as it accumulates resources over the course of 45 minutes to an hour. So I often like to think of Dota as a kind of evolutionary missing link between Warcraft 3 with its kind of powerful heroes that you can equip with items and level up, and something like World of Warcraft, where you're controlling a single character over a longer period of time. (laughs) Uh, But, um, this isn't like a story game or an MMO, the objective of Dota is different. It's to destroy the enemy's ancient, and ancients are these big structures in the center of each heavily fortified base.
7: Your ancient is under attack.
2: Um, So, if you need to destroy the ancients to win a game, how do you do that?
6: What do you do in Dota? So, every game of Dota 2 starts with a draft. Your turn to pick. Which is where a captain for each team picks 5 heroes from a pool of 117 heroes. And I crunched the numbers and that's a total of 20,105,967,960 possible combinations. Did you
4: memorize that? I did memorize that.
6: (laughs) Um, you gotta have that ready to go <laughs> if you're a true fan. Um, so, as you can see, this is a game that really can't be solved, and the fun of Dota is really trying to come up with better but always imperfect solutions. Mm-hmm.
7: Choose your hero.
6: So, each of these heroes has a couple of different spells, the most powerful of which is called their ultimate. So, Tidehunter, for Tide example, Hunter. is this surprisingly <laughs> cute Leviathan. <Xigua>. <laughs> ultimate ability Ravage is Ravage. a huge area of effect stun capable of disabling an entire enemy team if it's placed well right so heroes are strong in the early game and some of them are strong in the late game some of them need a lot of gold to function effectively while others really need none at all but no hero can be good at everything so there's are always trade-offs and so building a team is kind of like building that perfect magic deck Uh, and a good team composition requires making sure that all five of your heroes really complement each other right
4: so, once you get through this magic style draft, that's actually only the first phase of Dota 2, the next challenge is playing it out in the game itself. Prepare for battle. So, once you hear the horns of war blow.
2: Uh, 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 mm, but that's not really what it's
4: <laughs> like. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's a> terrible. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, the game this is when the game kind of actually begins. What happens here? You have the hero that you're controlling, someone like the Tide Hunter, who spawns on one side of the map. They either could be the radiant side or the dire side. It's it's kind of this like classic manichaean dualism.
2: It's like magical elves in a green forest <laughs> versus bad guys in a dark rocky volcanic zone.
4: Yeah, pretty much bad guys versus good guys. Sometimes you're the good guys, sometimes you're the bad guys. The battle begins. Anyway, On this map, there's a square forest and then cliffs that are divided by a river in the center. And um, very, very importantly, there's also these three distinct lanes that run through the environment. There's a top lane, middle lane, and bottom lane. And then here, you can find AI units that are called creeps that spawn at each base and march down the lanes before meeting somewhere in the middle of the fight. So what players have to do is to kill these creeps, AKA last hitting, or they can kill each other which is also known as ganking. And they do that in order to get gold to buy items as well as to gain experience to upgrade their abilities. And because there's only so much money, experience, map vision, and time to go around, each team has to be really strategic about how they're gonna allocate their resources. So sometimes you have to be poor so that your friends can be rich.
2: Right, so if you play Dota or watch Dota, you'll hear people talk about different roles like carry and support. And um, these words are just references to the unequal distribution of resources. For example, a carry needs space on the map, as well as enough time to gather gold and experience and unlock their full potential, their full kind of kit of tools to win the game. Meanwhile, the rest of the team has to take less while still taking enough to protect the carry from being killed or ganked. So, uh, using the Tidehunter Hunter example, um, he has this great ultimate, but doesn't need much gold or experience to impact a fight. He can kind of walk in and do the ravage. Uh, so maybe he gets out of the way so that somebody else, like Juggernaut, who's a kind of masked samurai who yells, Blade Fury! Oh, can get a bunch of uh, resources and really like power up over the battle. Um, at its heart, Dota 2 is kind of like this tug of war over these resources between the two teams. It's a game about logistics and management under conditions of scarcity.
4: You mean, otherwise known as a textbook definition of economics.
2: Right, yeah, basically. We'll be, and we'll be going into economics a lot
7: this
6: week. <laughs> so over the course of each game, your team is going to chip away at the enemy's defenses and you're going to destroy their towers.
7: One of your towers is under attack
6: and usher your creeps ever closer to the core of their base. And everything on the Dota 2 map, from the beasts that live in the forest between lanes, so there's pink parrots and muscular centaurs and, and, tomato and spooky potato. raids, <laughs> I love
7: tomato and potato.
6: Uh, to the trees that block enemy vision, to the 162 items and like close to 500 spells, is a tiny piece that can be used to press your advantage, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And in practice, most matches of Dota 2 are won by turning incremental advantages into insurmountable ones. So, once your team has drafted well, you've acquired a huge resource advantage, you picked the exact right distribution between your heroes, bought the best items to complement your abilities, you push into the enemy base, you slaughter your enemies, <laughs> and you burn their homes to the ground.
7: Radiance ancient is under attack.
6: You drop the wombo combo, the radiant
2: explodes, game over. <laughs>
6: victory. And so to wrap up, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull a quote from my friend Chris Bro that I think really gets to the heart of what's so great about dota which is that dota is a zero-sum scenario and it demands more from its players than most games would ever dream of asking which is why winning one good match of it feels like sweeping the world fucking series of anything else
2: (laughs) i hope we see some good matches of dota this week But before the team can see any matches together, we have to get tickets to the Dota 2 International Championships. <laughs> uh, t- let's like pan out for a second. Like, what is the International Dota 2 Championships? Like what? Uh, as an event, like maybe people who are listening to this like don't know what that is. It's a state of
0: mind. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. So okay, it's true. Dota two mm-hmm. being played mm-hmm. competitively mm-hmm. from many different teams that are professional. They mm-hmm. get paid to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dota two has a um, annual
2: series of tournaments that all more or less come to head at this event. So. There are major events that happen in different regions that award a certain number of points to teams. And then each region is also given a qualifying event. So there are uh, these mini tournaments that happen towards the end to kind of add wild cards almost to the mix after Mm -hmm. the majors have happened.
6: Yeah. And I think like as a culture, Dota has a very strong like sense of meritocracy Hmm. that you should always have an opportunity to prove your worth. And the idea behind these qualifiers is not just that it's a, a second chance for teams that sort of missed the official cut, but that anybody can make a team and sign up mm-hmm. that we could if we wanted <laughs> get together like two months in the past. Mm-hmm. And and be the every game in the city team. Great, oh, and yeah. um, next year, you know, yeah. like go yeah. through an open qualifier and then end up in a regional qualifier and potentially then earn I a spot at TI. <laughs> I don't. We would, we would have not gotten another the first round of the open qualifier. But which region? Um, good question. For for any of them, we would, have, we would have been wrecked. But um, that's that's an interesting thing that I think distinguishes Dota from a lot of other esports is it has this kind of grassroots feel to it um Mm -hmm. that in theory if you're good enough go out and prove it
4: right there's this kind of fantasy of a level playing field Mm -hmm. but it seems like i mean if we look at the teams this year where it's been going on long enough that we're starting to see that folks who have been in the game for a long Mm -hmm. time that have like earned that are dota millionaires Mm -hmm. they're the ones that are are kind of Still on top. And still on top, being successful, and in a lot of ways, some of the most fun to watch.
3: Um, I just had a question, which I just realized it suddenly devolved into this big series of questions mm-hmm. <laughs> in my yeah, mind. But the best kind of time. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, if people are playing this as a pro, do they get paid just for playing? Or is it only during these tournaments like once a year? And if they don't win, they just don't get paid and they have no jobs? or
2: The, the money questions start like, bring them on.
7: <laughs> like,
0: yes. as early as so, possible.
6: Esports economies are totally fascinating. Um, but Dota is almost unique among esports that for the majority of players, the biggest part of their earnings are prize winnings. Um there are you know if you we were talking about League of Legends pro scene or overwatch league, you know players are going home with a really strong salary so but if you if that you doesn't just, really happen in dota
3: if you just don't win, then you don't make any money
6: exactly um oh, wow. there was in fact, a yeah, yeah, there was a case with um a Peruvian team like three years ago who their salary was about ninety dollars a month per person
1: what.
5: They were
6: like eating cereal five days a week.
1: (laughs) So this is and then then there was a whole
6: (laughs) (laughs)
4: and they threw there was a scandal about throwing a match,
6: which because they were like starving, right? Literally because they They needed money to (laughs) buy
4: more cereal because like that was all Uh, they could afford to eat at the time. And then they were kind of thrown to the wolves in a lot of ways by the community because you know throwing a match is the most unsportsmanlike worst possible thing that you could do for dota
2: and this year aside from being in shanghai the international boasts a 33 million dollar prize pool how this works is valve designates 1 million dollars or 1.6 million dollars to the prize pool guaranteed each year the rest of it is funded um, by the community who purchases what's the equivalent of maybe like an extended digital magazine slash DLC for the game. Um, and through purchasing... That's called The Compendium. It's called The Compendium. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to do a whole range of activities that we're going to explore this week from uh, fantasy drafts to statistics and analysis to uh, finding special cosmetic items to playing special events. And um, I believe... What is the actual percentage? Is it twenty five percent of that purchase, which is a nine ninety nine purchase, goes toward the prize pool, mm-hmm. and seventy five percent of that purchase goes to Valve. So the thirty three million dollar prize pool, which is being distributed amongst only the teams that arrive here in Shanghai, not all the qualifying teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is twenty five percent of a fan produced budget for this event and importantly this event is not a sponsored tournament it's completely produced by valve or with the companies they hire
4: yeah do you think it's fair to say that it's almost like dota is a microcosm of a gentrified city it's almost like san francisco where the winningest players are Mm -hmm. like at the top of the sort of esports food chain and then at the bottom. It's it's like abject poverty, so it's the
6: inequality is is uh, it's kind of most extreme, and yet for me this is part of what makes Dota so interesting is the way it sort of allegorizes like bigger sort of questions about like capitalism and markets, and you have this like hugely unregulated esports ecosystem, and even though these narratives of meritocracy like are a huge part of how Dota sees itself. All of a sudden, like a couple people have like all of the wealth, and everybody else is like struggling to hang on. And players have sort of recognized that that is unequal, but not necessarily like articulated that to a broader critique of like actually this
0: is a bigger problem than Dota. So we're we're looking at all these different aspects of Dota, not just the game, but the microcosm mm-hmm. that it produces, the meta games that we play with it, betting, gambling, analyzing mm-hmm. all of, of mm-hmm. the above. Um, this started off as playing every escape room, which was a much more active and obvious verb. Here we're watching every esport, specifically the game (laughs) of Dota in the international. Um, What does that mean for us? Yeah, so I think one thing that kind of sharpens uh,
2: the focus a little bit is how these larger issues of economy and precarity uh, trickle down, like down the pyramid scheme from the top down to even folks like us. So, So watching is an active verb in this case because in order to even be here, we have to participate in the weird games that happen around Dota. Uh, The biggest of which I think, at least right now since we haven't started the tournament, is like finding tickets to this event.
4: We've been playing the Dota (laughs) metagame of sculpting tickets.
2: Uh, so how did you, how did we get tickets? Yeah. So this is like a long, (laughs) this is like a long Tuck
4: in. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Everybody Everybody
2: get ready. Everybody like get their drinks ready. Um, so when we knew that we wanted to do this, we knew that it would be very difficult to get tickets for a team of eight people. Um, and we knew this because we've tried this at many internationals. Uh, the first international that Stephanie and I attended was TI4, uh, the fourth international, which was the first one at Key Arena in, uh, Seattle. And, um, because we were doing an artist residency with our friend Dan Tankersley, um, at the time, we got three tickets and we were able to go to the tournament um, and kind of check it out. It turned out to not be the
4: best international.
2: Uh, There's a the current style of play then was like this death ball style that would end in like 15 minutes. But
4: it was it was actually it was really sad yeah. because that deathball style of Dota that was the current meta for that particular TI meant that there were so many short games. And then what I remember the most vividly about this was that players would, they would GG, they would just tap out of the game before like it even looked like they were yep. losing. So I had even less of an idea what was going so, on.
2: And part of the thing that I think we remember a lot about that moment is that it was really, really frustrating and weird and difficult to get tickets from Ticketmaster. So I remember sitting in Stephanie's office with like three computers and two phones, have the Ticketmaster app, and as soon as the moment comes that the queues are open on Ticketmaster, you refresh all the computers and hope that the screen loads fast enough and you can get the tickets. Because these events sell out in minutes. Uh, supposedly, the Shanghai one on uh, Daimai was handling the tickets on the Chinese side of thing, sold out in less than a minute. Yep. In, like, 10 seconds. So
5: your like I read today the whole entire tickets was sold out in 57 seconds. Mm-hmm. And the final, like, the last day is in 23 or 26 seconds.
2: So the way that... So there are two ticket sellers handling the tickets in Mercedes-Benz. And importantly, like, Valve has no... Con- well, they could have control, but they choose to um, allow the venue to... Uh, kind of hire whatever vendors it mm-hmm. wants to, to distribute tickets. So for people who are not in China and don't have a Chinese national ID which you needed to use to buy mm-hmm. Dimei tickets uh, used Universe. And Universe allowed you to use a passcode if you bought the, t- the compendium uh, the, it's called Battle Pass. Now, it used to be called a compendium, but now it's the Dota 2 Battle, Battle DLC Pass, thing. The DLC mm-hmm. thing. So we both had it, so we both had these serial numbers that we could plug in and get one hour extra before the queues opened on Universe. As well, in to, well, to to purchase tickets. Oh. You could, you could purchase tickets one hour we earlier. Well,
4: one hour. We an advantage. One hour? It felt as if we had a small advantage going under the foreigner system with the battle pass.
2: Yeah. So it's, it was like a, a confluence of things. We thought that, oh, how many people are going to be traveling to Shanghai to do this? Probably fewer than normally go, at least from uh, folks in like the States and Europe, etc. Uh, how many people have the battle pass? Probably fewer. Uh, how many people are going to stay up all night with multiple computers on in the queue, despite there never being any instructions to do that, probably fewer. Uh, we we probably, we kind of had Will on call, but we didn't pull the trigger to like wake you up in the morning to also do it, but we probably should have. We loaded the Universe website sharply when they opened one hour earlier. We got as far as five tickets in Stephanie's cart before an error happened at checkout, Oh, no. um, at which point, we spent the next ten minutes re-entering a credit card before oh, the websites kicked us out of all our computers, and I we just, just sat there
6: like stunned.
4: And then I cried.
6: And then I cried. Oh!
4: <laughs> I terrible. woke up to a
6: text message because I was on the East Coast. Um, just Stephanie, and it just said we
0: failed. Unhappy face. <laughs> <laughs> and is there any element of you know you uh, your internet latency? So no, no. It's not I mean, that not, not to
2: brag, but we have like a Google Fiber that's a hundred up and down and are like, I mean, there's no way uh, it wasn't a latency issue. I think it's just in all of these cases, there's always an overload of every ticket seller. Mm-hmm. And so it's a server side issue, not a client side issue. So it
4: was a lottery and we lost the lottery.
2: Yeah, I was trolling Facebook and like shaking my fist at folks showing the like a successful uh, 10 ticket purchase (laughs) um, from the other side of the world.
5: Yeah, I wanted to, or I tried to be helpful at the beginning and I didn't know where to look to, like I went on Valve China and there's no news. Mm -hmm. Like there's only one news. We're going to do this (laughs) and the city (laughs) events, they really treated it not as something you think so important. Even till today, if you go to their website, at least the Chinese part, Mm -hmm. there are five different things going on, like opera this. And something Dion, about sitting, something like a Disneyland opera for children and they're equally important. Okay. And there's no, nothing about buying tickets on that either. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Damai and Damai said, we don't know anything yet. Just wait.
4: I mean, it's the day before the tournament. I think Dime Mike still doesn't know. Because everything is in chaos right now. It has continued
2: to be a kind of crapshoot the whole time. Not to cut our story short. Right. So, okay, we failed. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. immediately we thought... Well, one, it felt awful. Because we we knew that we had y'all that you were depending on us to get the tickets. So it just felt like it was like a double whammy. Like in we any other all. year. Yeah, we failed like the whole family, the whole every game in this dot city. Um, but uh,
3: <laughs> Hashtag. So, so immediately
2: we rationalized it and we sent out like a very serious announcement email to you all about like, oh, these are like the next step forward and this is what we're going to do. And I started studying all the reselling sites and kind of tracking the ticket prices daily. And like usually on... Reddit and some other places, there's, like, sub-forums for selling tickets, and I checked every single TI how this went down, and there are hundreds of posts for TI, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, from all these folks who are meeting up at the tournament, or I checked eBay, and there's all these eBay sales. There are still TI5 tickets on eBay that I could buy right now. (laughs) So I was like, oh, this is not going to be any problem. As soon as a couple months roll by, because it was June, I think. Mm -hmm. That the tickets sold, or maybe a little earlier. As soon as a couple of months roll by, like all these tickets will pop up on StubHub and eBay and Reddit, and we'll just be able to like grab some, no problem. And then none of that happened. No tickets showed up, not a single ticket showed up on eBay. Uh the tabout sites selling tickets got taken down very early.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Um there was not a Reddit sub forum with hundreds of posts. There was one with Three And I did two of them, right? (laughs) Uh, um, And why why is it so different? I think it's because it's in China. Right. Yeah. So this is like part of what makes this TI special and part of why we wanted to go and intuited that this would be an interesting one to go to is because of these difficulties. And we tried to tell ourselves this throughout the whole process that like, it is good that this is hard. Because it makes it more interesting and as it like an character. experience. Yeah. Yeah, it builds character. But we sure would have liked to just buy ten seats in a row. Yeah. Uh, but from
5: your email, it sounds really positive. I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I would give up. Yeah. We thought I remember these
6: iMessages really trying to yeah. like there's gotta be a positive in here. How can we yeah. spin this to be a good thing?
2: Totally. Um Luckily, well, like it mm-hmm. did actually spin into not an easy thing, and I think maybe this is like the The constant on this trip is like, it's not easy, but it's good. Yeah. Or it's it's not easy,
4: but you can figure out a solution. Yeah.
2: Or it's not clear until you're in the moment.
4: Yeah. Welcome to China. (laughs) (laughs) So thus began the saga of finding gray market tickets. Yeah. So Patrick, you basically spent the next like three months on Reddit
2: This is just part of my daily internet routine was to like check this stuff. And I noticed a few other posters who were doing the same thing. I would like see their names in the same places and I would um when I asked questions, they would be the ones answering it. They seemed to know all the same things I knew. And they seemed to be doing the same process of like checking the same sites. Um but no one was really coming forward until I made a few posts that was like, um, want to buy, it was like classic like World of Warcraft lingo, like WTB, uh, five, and it was like the whole string of like, I need these types of things on these dates, and, and I'll like buy it for two times as much, or whatever. And so two people reached out to me, um, and we're going to change their names in post uh, to protect their identities, but uh, the first one was
3: Thomas Braxton Porter,
2: who is um, somebody who Accidentally purchased more than one ticket. And the second is...
3: Diamond Tap 420.
0: Who intentionally purchased more than one ticket. And you uh, thought that...
3: Thomas Braxton Porter.
0: Did not, intention- did not unintentionally buy the extra tickets. You thought it was a scam. We Correct, just, yeah. We, we
4: mm-hmm. just had... We just always assumed the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> and it was hard to believe that someone would accidentally, given how hard it was to buy any ticket, buy mm-hmm. three... It seems as if he actually legitimately did. We'll know tomorrow.
2: Well, it came clear, really obvious, that these two people operated in really different ways. Because the person who bought tickets um, unintentionally,
3: Thomas Braxton Porter,
2: started our conversation with a series of. What I can only think of as like trust falls, like exercises where we would give up more and more information about one another so that we could trust one it's like another. It
4: like you were dating on Cinder. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was like,
2: uh, do you feel comfortable sharing your, uh, Facebook with me? And then I would share my Facebook and he would share his Facebook. Do you feel comfortable uh, sharing your Discord with me? I would share my Discord, he would share his Discord. Mm-hmm. Do you feel comfortable doing voice chat with me? We would voice chat. Um, and yeah, so, I, At what point, like when you say no?
7: <laughs> no, no
2: one said no. So it was like playing chicken uh, to see like who would trust each other the most.
4: Until or, it was, show me your Chinese visa. Oh, that's not yeah, what
2: I thought. Can, can you? Go. Yeah, sure. yeah.
6: yeah. No, <laughs> show you my really visa, you know, me my
2: Chinese visa. Answer me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, this is actually... A,
1: Switching to video chat. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> this is, this is actually kind of awesome, though, because um, it became really clear really quickly that this was either the most elaborate scam or this person was telling the truth.
4: Like, a scam that would have involved producing Facebook posts from, like, five years ago. Yeah.
2: It's or, long like... Con. Yeah, it's the long con. But even, like... Um,
3: Thomas Braxton Porter.
2: Like read a chapter of metagaming, the book <laughs> Stephanie and I wrote about Dota 2, and we like discussed like <laughs> Artifact and Auto Chess. And we would like, so our business would take about 10 minutes and then we'd like chat for like fifty minutes. Um, so, and also this person, what was really fishy about it is this person wasn't asking for double the price, even though I offered double the price. They were asking for the exact normal price with an additional fee for the extra work they were putting into all the calls. And we eventually drew up like a sale of goods contract that we both signed with our real addresses and real names that I be- we like downloaded from like a, a GitHub of legal documents <laughs> that should legally work in the U.S. So it was like very clear to me that this was a person who was just like, telling the truth and wanted his tickets, and to be protected and wanted his tickets to go to somebody for no extra cost.
0: They rejected your offer.
2: Correct. Of twice. What? Yeah, this was really, really fishy. For the longest time, I thought it was one of those things where I would send the money and they would send back, like, they would, like, skim some part of it and they were doing it to hundreds of people or something. I thought it was some kind of scheme, but it wasn't. Or at least we'll see. I'm mean, we'll meeting
3: Thomas Braxton Porter.
2: for the first time in person tomorrow morning at the international to buy or to, to, to top him off with is the finder's real? fee, um, and, and and maybe hang out a little bit. Like so, we'll see. The, the other person though is a much shorter story because bought many tickets, had sold tickets at previously internationals, did not want to do any of the trust fall stuff. Just said, show up with this amount of money. At this at the international and we'll do it in person uh, like show up with cash or PayPal friends and family and when I tried to like press like oh do you want to like have a meeting or do you want to they weren't interested in that because they had done it at many internationals they were charging three times the
0: cost <laughs>
2: right uh, so they and were a
0: consummate professional
2: they I don't know if it's professional or not but it, it worked and the, <laughs> the the effect is the same money went to their bank account via wire transfer and we're holding <laughs> a
6: bunch of tickets which in a lobby of a, a quote yeah. movie hotel end quote and you are
0: in like, the middle to,
4: of a thunderstorm
0: getting told off by guards
4: getting told off by guards <laughs> who thought we were maybe gambling or doing something super shady, which it. we kind of were. Yeah. Um, but yeah so we were
2: all, like, we're in the, now. in the like, uh, crouched pose, uh, like, as if we were smoking cigarettes. But we were, like, all crouching around. Rows and rows of tickets lined out on the ground so that I would be sure that all the seats were in order. But because what we, it's
4: not a badge. Like, it's been every past year. It's not a badge. Tickets per day for every single person. Shanglun is currently holding them, and it's just a wad. It's, it's a just a wad.
0: It's
2: so, it's so wild. So maybe to clarify, every other international has had a plastic badge with like a QR code or a barcode that you scan in at the beginning of the day, and if you ever leave, they scan you out, and they use those badges to allot virtual commodities to the audience throughout the day. But Dai the way that they've done the tickets this year is just paper ticket stubs as if it's a concert. And so there's yeah, no... Because
5: they specialize in the, concert tickets. It's like a concert.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. So this is just a standard template.
5: Yeah.
2: So there's no re-entry. There's no virtual commodities that I can tell. There's no... Um,
4: the swag
6: is and, like
5: a separate ticket. Yeah. Maybe and in five we, years yeah. in China that would happen. Yeah. are too early.
6: And the re-entry is, like, super wild for this event because these days are, like, 10, 11 hours long. Yeah. They're not, like, a two- or three-hour concert. And you're
4: supposed to have assigned seating, but apparently Daimoi fucked up all the seats. Yeah. And so... So the seats that
2: you were allotted on Universe, when you... Apparently, when you got to Will Call... And we're going to see... I'm going to meet...
3: Thomas Braxton Porter.
2: ...tomorrow to, like, wait in line and... And see what the ticket processing is like, but I think they just like literally print out the next set of serial numbers with the next set of seats, no matter what you originally had, which is wild. It like blows people's mind because they were selling tickets at different prices for upper and lower. <laughs> so anyway, backing out of this ticketing moment because it's it's totally wild. It might be foreshadowing what's to come in terms of it's the unexpected and it's not straightforward. And you can't plan and know it ahead of time, but maybe in the moment we'll like figure it out. Is is kind of it
0: uh, That's been the jibe the jibe? <laughs> the the jibe. Jive? The jibe. <laughs> I think I try to say vibe and jive. <laughs> At the first second you were using a Mandarin term oh it's
2: just called Jive. It's just but, like what yeah, you said. The jive.
0: <laughs> it's it's
2: really <laughs>
6: So, so, actually, before we dig into this, I want to say, like, one thing. Oh, please, the, yeah. The ticket scalper thing is really interesting, and I think it, it cuts to the heart of what we're sort of trying to say about Dota, which is a lot of the most interesting things about Dota don't happen, like, inside the game. They happen, these games that are happening through and around it. Um, and you can probably imagine that ticket scalpers are not held in high regard by the Dota community, Um <laughs> And I have this like this post up in front of me on it's like the the top post on the Big Dota subreddit um called like Don't Ever Held TI in China if the scalper issues could be solved. Um so not like totally great English, but the um the actual text here is really interesting because it's it's saying, you know, I'm I'm gonna quote it exactly, you've probably already heard about the ticket issues on TI9. As more than 10-year Dota-er in China, it's a really big regret that you can't witness the most magnificent event when it's held in your homeland. Let me just list some news, et cetera, et cetera. As far as I know, most of the tickets were in Scalper's hands. Only a few true Dota fans got the tickets at the very beginning on Daimai.com. Mm. And that in- invocation of like, what is a true Dota fan here, you know, would suggest like ideologically that the true Dota fan is only the one who like watches and plays, but it's very clear that the scalpers are playing their own kind of metagame here and mm-hmm. so when you say that that's not the real way to play Dota you've already sort of cut off a whole like ways in which people actually engage with this game and to me that's like part of what makes this so fucking crazy and like yeah. worth flying to Shanghai too.
2: Yeah like we're on the bottom rung of the pyramid <laughs> also. Like we're <laughs> scrambling the same way these teams scramble but it's like they're trying to like make a living and eating cereal and we're just like trying to get a ticket to watch this thing <laughs> yeah. the, same, the same hedges are being made and the same like um kind of moves are being made the same sharking is happening uh down on this rung
0: and just briefly young you had mentioned earlier that uh, ticket scalping is actually protected essentially under chinese law
5: did i say that
0: <laughs> is it true <laughs> Was Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh,
5: is it something i said about why Exactly. Couldn't I find information on the Benz website mm-hmm. or anyone who's related as organizer of this event? Because in China, you have to have a license to do ticketing. Even if you hold the event in your own space, you still have to hire someone. That's why Damai would come in this mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. because they are one of the biggest, or I would say the biggest ticketing company in China, especially online ones. Most of them are online ones and mm-hmm. They have really good relationship with most of the online payment companies too. That would mm-hmm. also make it difficult for people like me. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a Chinese mobile number, I couldn't really do it. But okay. maybe that's also a way to filter people. But reselling is yeah. not illegal. N- not really. That's the thing about games. Like I'm sure the country would find a way to control it very fast, but not now. They're still trying to figure out what is this. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Games operate this way often, whether it's like in terms of technologies or in terms of finance or in terms of certain parts of culture. They're like a little um, canary in the coal mine, right? They're like a test subject. And we've seen that in things like uh, Gamergate, where like Mm -hmm. something like the alt right is tested and then like eh, eh, works and Mm -hmm. then executed at a greater scale. And something like economies are tested a lot in game spaces. And Valve is one of these companies that likes to test and use their games not necessarily the way that you'd think games would be designed, but as uh, kind of like probes into future markets Mm -hmm. or future things that games could be or games could do. And like Dota itself, we'll get to this later with some of the technologies around Source 2 maybe, Dota itself is one of those probes. It's like. Not for itself; it's to do all this other type of work.
4: Yeah, and um, even some of the most famous like moments when some esports matches or Dota matches were thrown, they weren't paid in money. They were paid in virtual currencies. They were paid yeah. in Counter Strike mm-hmm. gun skins, right? And whereas, like, I think it's pretty established that like throwing a game is is breaking a lot of official rules and Mm. laws that are out there, like literally illegal. Um, If you're doing it and getting paid in this kind of monopoly money, it seems to like change the way people's perceptions and makes them more likely perhaps to do things like that. There's like something really strange Mm. about these, um, is it money? Is it not? Is it a duck? Is it a rabbit kind of thing?
5: I'm just, I was just reminded I, because in your email, you mentioned me that maybe I can help to look on Taobao.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: And I did. Um, <laughs> I just realized because Taobao is the first market. Yeah. It sells first-hand stuff. But I found all this ticket which cost like 5,000 RMB at the time, 10 times the original price mm-hmm. uh, on Taobao. But actually, Taobao has a second market. It's called Xian Yu. Yeah. That's idling fish, but could also be like idling extra things, mm-hmm. but nobody is selling it on Xian Yu because people treat it like first hand in a way.
2: Mm-hmm. And so also, it's not reselling, it's yeah. just selling.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also I just realized most things about games on Taobao are not legit, but we buy it anyway. And also speaking Sorry, about, in what
0: ways are they not legit?
5: Like I have a Mac and I play games on Mac, but I want to play old PC games on Mac. And I would go to Taobao and use like one US dollar to buy
4: And for, for
5: folks that don't know, what is Taobao? Oh, right. It's like eBay, but better. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a saying, right? But like more if powerful. It's, if it's not
0: on Taobao, it doesn't exist. Yeah.
5: That's true. And speaking about wealth, uh, like people can buy shared Steam account on Taobao too. Mm-hmm.
0: You, as in like you buy the username and password?
5: Yeah a new share with strangers, but you would, I don't know, there's a way to assign time slots. Oh, it's like a timeshare. Yeah, Yeah. a
7: timeshare. Oh,
2: wow. And this is particularly useful, we'll find out later this week, because to make a Steam account in Mainland, you need a phone number. And to have a phone number, you need a residency, right? And to have a residency, you need a bank. So you need all this Identity stuff.
4: Card, yeah.
2: yeah, like Steam requires you to be a Chinese citizen in a way that it makes it very difficult uh, to just like sit down and play.
4: Just switching the conversation a little bit, because mm. we've been talking a lot about money and we've talking been talking a lot about kind of the the intense inequality that the kind of dota ecosystem um has has produced um i was just thinking like maybe because of that strangely one of the products is that at this point in time like this particular um year of the international in this particular city the meta like the actual games that have been taking place Mm -hmm. that over the past year that leading up to the international been so good. They've been so good to watch. They've been so interesting. Like, remember when we were at TI4, it's like that was a completely different game of Dota that was being played. And this year, all the heroes are being picked. There's so many weird, complex, unexpected strategies that are taking place. Um, Something like um, a lot of teams are, there's a lot of turnarounds, right? Like a lot of people Mm -hmm. have been talking about the, the fact that like uh, teams like Team Secret are coming back after mega mega creeps have been mm-hmm. produced. And I compare that to when we were at TI4, where like 15 minutes People give out. Up. People just give up. Nobody's giving up. They're like fighting for their life.
2: Yeah, so it, it's funny. The game itself seems very healthy. And the ecology of games around Dota is booming with things like, not necessarily Artifact, but uh, <laughs> with Underlords <laughs> coming out and, and Dota 2 Auto Chess, the... Um, Team Jodo project that we'll talk about later this week, um, and so yeah, it's it's a it's a funny um, uh, kind of contrast that the game is so healthy at the top of the pyramid, and then there's all this kind of wheeling and dealing going on underneath the surface. The most constantly.
4: beautiful games are emerging out of a toxic swamp. So, <laughs> yeah. so, mm. Sounds, Sounds like, a, like to- a Chinese game, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, so maybe that's the end of our of our conversation. But I I did briefly want to kind of go around and maybe um like I kind of want to hear like what people expect to get out of uh, this week before we because many people in this room haven't been to one of these tournaments or maybe even an e-sport tournament before. So I'm just kind of curious what are the expectations and like what do we want out of this trip um, before we kind of
0: like walk into the the Lions Den tomorrow. I'm really excited to make and break um, by which i mean i have no experience with dota so okay i'm gaining all this knowledge really really quickly and maybe that gives me a unique opportunity to uh, create a new metagame or break existing metagames from my position as an outsider Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah also i expect that i will just have a million questions like you said mega creep earlier oh my gosh what is mega, mega, mega <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, so you tossed it out so casually and that's what's been happening a little bit everyone's been saying words yeah and it's just another language
4: bkb agonem scepter oh
0: Agonim's essence in all over my body <laughs> skeletons with lips like, oh my on? god oh my god the skeletons with lips so yeah this is going to be a week of learning but hopefully also some making and mm-hmm. some breaking mm.
1: I think for me it's the, I don't know, it's another spectacle, you know? Yeah. Um, the, not knowing a great deal about the game, but knowing some analogous games, it's, you know, it's putting that in meat space and seeing what, who are the thousands of people who are watching this? Who are the sponsors? What are the, what are the products that are being, you know, what's the broader ecosystem? How many how many people who make keyboards are trying to sell keyboards so that I'm mm-hmm. fascinated mm-hmm. to see you very much looking forward to it. Totally.
3: On that note for me, it would be a lot about the spectatorship as well because, um, I've always found esports sports to be quite baffling, like the, <laughs> cause I don't even like watching, um, like soccer or football or any of those types of sports either. Um, so the fact that people could watch people on a computer, Mm-hmm. Just doing stuff is ridiculous. To me. <laughs> On the other hand, Good. you Good. yeah, that's you our, watch
0: Town of Salem. Yes, which is so worse. It's, it's like an inter- it's a chat room. It's you watch very chat room. it's very <laughs>
3: funny because this I only started um a few months ago watching Town of Salem videos. And Town of Salem is basically online mafia or werewolf, mm. and it's just so it it's just I don't know why I end up watching it so much, but it's just like. I, I can name a lot of a lot of members of the <laughs> Salem witch trials now. that <laughs> Lawson, Giles Corey—they're <laughs> all my friends now, and it's like the equivalent of this what creeps thing that you just said, <laughs> yeah? Or this it like First Blood <laughs> stuff, like all of these random terms that no one would understand. I'm just like, oh, um, what's that word? They they use all of these um, archaic terms like tarnation. <laughs> <laughs> as they're as, as they're censoring words what and it's just a little jerk to myself <laughs> when i say these things because people are like why do you talk like that <laughs> 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 it's like you don't want town of salem videos
0: <laughs> but we coincidentally found out today that there's a connection between mafia or werewolf mm-hmm. and dota this will this will come up when we have greg on yeah yeah okay <laughs> great um, so,
6: I came in with really lofty ideas that I was gonna like talk about like Dota as this allegory for like fully financialized, like algorithmically managed capitalism. And like, <laughs> now that I'm here, I'm just like, I want my fucking team, Evil Geniuses, <laughs> to win. <Yeah. laughs> I'm uh, gonna be so yeah. fucking salty if they don't. I'm so
7: happy <laughs> we
0: have somebody who actually has stakes on yeah. the actual team on this <laughs> cast. Are you gonna bet on the, on them? Have you? Would you? Yeah, you a real fan?
2: I might bet. <laughs> I, I might bet against you. Oh, I have different desires. I
0: think you should do a bet, even if it's internal. Yeah, we should.
6: Yeah, well, your desires are unconventional. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, I'll, we'll we'll figure
6: this out off air, and then uh, we'll will announce that it. That is so good.
4: <laughs> I'm totally with you in that there's this like kind of uh, push pull, like angel devil mm-hmm. part of me where it's like, yes, this is completely an allegory for finance capitalism and some of the kind of worst aspects of the gig economy. And then I'm also just like super excited to learn the Chinese names for things like mega creep because for the <laughs> Do next, Do you know that term? No, but all the commentary at the stadium is going to be in Chinese. So I'm yeah. about to, yes. so
0: I'm really excited about that. If, if you had to quickly guess a term for mega creep young, what would you
5: Da bian tai (laughs) Da Stay tuned tuned. (laughs) Big pervert
0: Big pervert? (laughs) 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 Particularly funny too Because da sounds like shit
5: Yeah that's
1: funny (laughs) (laughs) Is that an educated guess? (laughs) Like my personality Yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well that's what they are
4: in my head forever. forever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what, what do you have to get out of the, the I
4: mean,
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's done. <laughs> I'm really interested in um, what is this like when China meets esports. I'm really interested yeah. in it because mm-hmm. some of my job has a journalistic nature to it, mm-hmm. and I've been hearing about it for at least two to three years. Like the government. And some of the enterprises, like private corporations, are trying to really bring it into China. Mm-hmm. And one of the reason is to destroy poverty and. What? Through yeah. e-sports. Yeah.
0: Yeah. through
6: esports. Oh, yeah, now I got know? bad news about esports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
5: uh. it's kind of funny because esports in China actually didn't happen first here, like the coastline first tier cities, but the inland there's a whole lot of reason i can talk about later yeah but now that Shanghai has made it apparently bury the fact that a lot of smaller towns or cities or villages even didn't get it but initially the government has ambition to bring stadiums esports player clubs into this place and make this place anew and mm-hmm. destroy poverty there's a term for it it's called precise this how do you call it it's like Destroying the poverty precisely, Hmm. like to be very exact.
1: Targeting, yes,
5: like this particular town would be rich once it has something like that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back to my
1: sports geography notes because this is um, the way people write about sports as well. Okay, and
6: then creative cities too and like the policy of mm. we're going to bring like right. cultural
1: industries to these places
6: You know, suddenly it's going to fix these big pro- problems
4: but through creative destruction yes yeah, yeah, so it bring like, up
6: this
2: term there. Yeah, creative destruction which um we've seen some chinese rural scholars use in their work around tourism in uh rural china where they'll think about the destruction that brings on a new uh kind of tourism in that area in um uh specifically so esports
4: is good for the health and wealth of
5: the nation
0: Mm-hmm. According um, to the party line.
5: And also I'm interested to see like who, because there are Chinese clubs or teams in yes. there. And there are Koreans. Yes. so we're like enemies mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And we really want to beat them in China. I think we want to beat everyone in China yep. this year. And mm-hmm. then there will be a lot of Chinese fans. And we know the ticket costs a lot. And it really costs a lot. And who's going in there to watch it and mm-hmm. how. And also we will not only be in the stadium, but other, hopefully other venues. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So yeah. this is a really good point. Um, this is such an exclusive tournament. I've never seen it before around a TI, mm-hmm. but there are almost a dozen venues around town from team houses to theaters that are uh charge admission, like a cover charge, um, to get in for a day to watch Dota 2. And so, um, we're thinking of maybe heading to some of these houses throughout the week to kind of check them out, especially the local Shanghai team, yeah. uh, VG Gaming. Their yeah. house is a site of one of these, and I think it'd be very interesting to watch one of their matches in their house. So, hmm. oh,
5: that'd be cool because cool. the owner of it is a big, like, playboy. He has so many gossips. <laughs>
2: He's the one <laughs> who has, like, the dog yeah. with the Apple Watches, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, wait, what the wait. fuck? <laughs> the, that's the son of the Badellium yeah, yeah. film direct, uh, producer. No, I mm. think his father is one of the biggest real estate person, like developer in China. Okay. Is this Sun Sitsong or something Wan like Once it's once I think so, but I'm too sleepy. Yeah.
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah. wait, hang on. This is an important question though. You said Apple watches like four? Yeah, he's got a couple on each paw.
4: He's the son of a wealthy <laughs> uh kind of media mogul. Would we say and and Became like famous <laughs> on the internet because he's he bought his his dog. A bunch of Apple watches. Several. And yeah, multiple yeah. and then like put all of the Apple
5: watches on oh his my dog. Goodness. Oh that's nothing if you know him <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. now, but now it's uh, Wang, Wang one once mm. He's building esports cities. Yes. Right? Yes. He's also one of the early guys who bought entire T V channel or internet T V channel to broadcast stream everything. Yeah. So we'll have to talk so about this, this is, more. I yeah. think
2: we're gonna touch on these topics throughout the week and I, yeah, I, I'm going to challenge us. Like, my hope for this trip is that we will, you know, go to these houses and, like, meet new people and, like, see this tournament together and also do these things we've been talking about. Like, uh, maybe Shung Loon makes a game about uh, reselling tickets. Maybe Peter, like, produces landscape at this tournament, or maybe we do do the the kind of mafia game with Alex who's falling asleep right now, Uh, and Will gets to, uh, maybe his team will win, right, like, maybe, maybe, probably not, but...
4: You just want to win.
7: I just want
2: to win, I'm sorry. That's why I'm intrigued to do this project again and to try and apply a, a similar method to a new object and see what is extruded. Like, the way that we play together um, should become clearer by adapting it to a new city and a new game, because this is every, every game, game in, in this style city. city. And this is the kind of end of the first day, and the next time um, we podcast, we will have watched some Dota
4: together. And what's our, the Chinese name?
5: Oh, I made a Chinese name. It's I forgot now. <laughs> uh Wan so, uh, so that's oh standard manner. Yep. Wan Yeah, something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal.
2: Good. So maybe we'll do some Chinese language (laughs) coaching throughout (laughs) this week too. Uh, Anyway, we probably need to get to bed because bright and early, uh, we're gonna be standing in line to get tickets and maybe not being able to leave this stadium. And maybe one of us won't be able to get in, and we're just gonna have to see. Game in the City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We recorded Season 2 in a hot living room in Huangpu during the summer of 2019. Our theme music is a cover of Dota by Bass Hunter, a Eurodance track he released in 2006 featuring samples from the original mod. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. When we come back next week... Will will lead the discussion on our first day at the tournament and conduct an interview with Greg Blair, the CEO of Chaos Esports Club.